Finally, on Wednesday, after about a week, Deschler was able to use their water as normal again. The boil water notice has ended, and now life goes back to normal, and we are grateful. I think I can speak confidently on behalf of all the Deschler residents with that. But during the days so long ago when we had to boil our water to make sure that it was safe for using and consumption, we developed a system. We had a couple of old milk jugs that we had rinsed out and cleaned out and all that good stuff, and we put the boiled water inside these jugs so that we had water on hand whenever we needed it. We didn't have to boil it right away, and I'm sure there's other life hacks too that you probably figured out with that. But as I was filling up one of the gallons of water, I was taking a measuring cup and pouring it in, and I noticed the puddle of water was growing on the countertop. And so I thought I was missing the little opening of the milk jug, so I was more careful, and I kept on filling it in. And I looked, and it kept getting bigger and bigger. Finally, I picked up this milk jug, and I looked around, and sure enough, there's a little pinhole, and the water is just dripping through this, or streaming through this little pinhole. So I got another gallon of uh, empty gallon, and I poured the one gallon into the other gallon and noticed that that one too was also leaking from the same size, another tiny little pinhole. And so I inquired of the sources that be of how many of these gallons have been poked through and found out there were three of them. But thankfully, we had some that weren't poked through, so we got to use that. But I decided I was going to pour it into a different gallon, one that would actually hold water, because when I needed water, I didn't want to go to an empty jug that didn't have any water. I needed a reliable source, so to speak. And now we have a reliable source, so we don't need those gallon jugs anymore. In the scripture text that we have this morning, the people of Judah are looking for a reliable source. They're looking for a reliable source to solve their problems during this time. And the only problem was that they refused to turn, or they refused to turn away from, or they refused to turn away from those empty sources, those little gallon jugs with pinholes in them, and turn back to the fountain of living water, which our text says. So they turn away from the only reliable source in search of some other source that promised to meet their need in that moment. In our text this morning, Jeremiah redirects his people to the only reliable source, the source that can't be punctured and it won't leave you dry when you go to draw upon it. He gives praise to the Lord. I invite you to open your Bibles with me to Jeremiah chapter 17 again, and we'll read this passage again. And if you're able, I'll invite you to stand out of respect for God's Word. Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 13 and 14, reading in Jesus' name. O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you will be put to shame. Those who turn away on earth will be written down, because they have forsaken the fountain of living water, even the Lord. Heal me, O Lord, and I will be healed. Save me, and I will be saved, for you are my praise. Father God, these are your words, and your word is truth. We pray this morning, Lord, that you would help us to trust in your word above all things, and Lord, that you would draw our attention to you this morning as our only reliable source. Help us to turn away from these other things to which we've turned, and to turn back to you, Lord. Work in our hearts and our lives here this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Jeremiah starts this chapter identifying the human condition present in Judah and also present in, in our day and age as well. This is a, a general verse that describes all mankind. 
but he identifies their human condition as being engraved into their stony hearts. Their sin is engraved with a diamond point pen onto the tablets of their hearts. That's not something that you could cover over. It's not something that could be hidden. It was always ever present. No amount of good deeds could kind of fill in those little sketches in the stones of our hearts. No character modification could erase it. It's there, and it's permanent. Because of this reality, the Lord declares in verse 5, Cursed is the man who trusts in mankind and makes flesh his strength and whose heart turns away from the Lord. Man isn't able to change the heart. And if we're looking to another man or woman to solve our problem, well, the reality is their hearts are also engraved, and it's not a reliable source. Neither is the strength of man, the resolve of man, or the determination of man. None of these things can change our hearts. And yet the people of Judah continued to put their hope and their trust in these things and trust in man. They refused to listen to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah. It was far easier just to write him off as some lunatic than it was to take a good, hard, honest stare into their lives and to acknowledge the rot of their own hearts. The Lord explains why in verse 9. The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? As we look at our hearts, we say, Ah, that person's heart, that might be etched with sin, but mine's doing pretty good today. Or maybe the next day, it's, it's pretty good. Or we say, you know, my heart's not as deeply engraved as that person. And so we say, maybe that is what brings us comfort. If only we knew the depth to which our hearts are engraved and affected by sin, then we'd finally see the futility of turning away from God. Or as the Lord put it in chapter 2, forsaking Him to hew for ourselves broken cisterns that can hold no water. There is only one reliable source, and that is the Lord. Jeremiah identifies the Lord here as the hope of Israel. Israel has always, or the Lord has always been Israel's hope, and it's been Israel's only hope as well from the very beginning. You might remember the time of uh, Jacob and Esau, of those twins, and if not, spoiler, or uh, another shameless advertising plug, come to the Walk Through the Bible event this afternoon. We'll learn more about that, or remember that. But Jacob pulled a fast one on his dad. And he steals his brother's birthright. And so his brother Esau vows to kill his younger brother. He has taken what belongs to him, and he wants him dead so he can get what's rightfully his. So Jacob left for his uncle's house for safekeeping, and also to find a wife. And on his way, the Lord gives Jacob a promise through a dream. This is what the Lord says to Jacob. I will give you the land upon which you lie, you and your descendants, In you and in your seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised. Jacob wakes up that morning and he is in awe of God and he makes a vow to the Lord. And he says, Lord, if you truly do these things, then the Lord will be my God, then I will worship you. And Jacob continues on his journey to his uncle's. He stays there for 20 years until the Lord appears to him again and says, All right, Jacob, this is my translation here, my paraphrase. All right, Jacob, it's time for you to go back to your land. Go back to where your family is from. Go back to your relatives, and I will be with you. Now hold the phone for a second. 
What was the last thing that Jacob heard before leaving his land? His brother saying, I am going to kill you. And now the Lord is saying, Jacob, go back to this brother of yours, you know, the one who wants to kill you, the one whose birthright you kind of stole and did all of that good stuff. Yeah, go back to him and I will be with you. I'll be keeping you safe. But he, Jacob leaves. Eventually he's greeted by messengers who tell him that on his way back, Esau is coming to meet you. And it's not just Esau. It's your brother and 400 men are coming to meet you. And Jacob could have feared and trembled at that, and he did kind of react in a little bit of fear with that because he splits up his family and his possessions into two different parties, then sends one of them first so that if his brother was intending harm for him, he could still leave with half of his family, half of his possessions. And he goes and he, he does this. Jacob is terrified and understandably so. And then we come to the account where Jacob wrestles with God. And it's here where Jacob's name is changed to Israel. And this is important as we look at this verse and we see the Lord is the hope of Israel. And Israel pressed on to meet his brother. It was the Lord who promised to go before Jacob, who promised to go before Israel, who said, I will be with you. I will give you this land. I will bless you. And I'm going to give you all kinds of, uh, all kinds of descendants as well. He promises to bless him and the whole world through his seed. The Lord promised to be with Israel. The Lord was. And Jacob and Esau had a great family reunion. The Lord kept him safe. Israel died trusting the Lord. His descendants, however, began to trust in other things. The descendants at the time of Jeremiah who are still around are looking to their own prosperity. They're looking to their own wealth, their own security, their own military alliances with other stronger nations, thinking, hey, we're safe as long as these people can come to our aid. And they're also looking to their token worship. It's meaningless, but hey, at least I'm, I'm coming today because that's um, kind of what I need to do, I suppose. But they're looking to all of these things, thinking as though this was the source of their hope. This was the source of their life and salvation. But they trusted in other things. And all of this, they had forsaken the Lord, the one who promised them his presence, the one who promised them his protection. And they left the Lord to craft for themselves their own, quote-unquote, reliable sources that at the end of the day would be found empty. They'd be put to shame, as verse 13 states. They'd be put to shame because the objects in which they hoped would be, find, or would be revealed to be a fraud, offering promises that they cannot deliver. It wouldn't save them. It wouldn't protect them. And those who turn away on earth will be written down, the text says. Or as another translation has it, would be written in the dust. All because they turned away from the perfectly good fountain of living water. They left that which was reliable to pioneer for themselves some other source to the detriment of their own souls. But at the time, they don't mind it. Everything seems to be going well for them. And we shake our heads at this, but then we pause and, and we reflect on our own situation in life and we realize that we too have that same tendency to go chasing after other fountains, other sources of, of water, other things that promise to quench our metaphorical thirst. It may quench our thirst momentarily. It may have some short-term gains for us or profit for us, in this moment, may give us the things 
that we want, or maybe even for this week, or even the duration of this lifetime that we have here on this world. But in the end, when we stand before the judgment throne of God, there is only one reliable source. And ultimately, these things are things that will put us to shame. Can the sources to which we look make us make good on their promises? Can they be with you always? Can they truly protect you? Can they save you not only from this life, but from the next life and from the wrath of God? Jeremiah anchors his hope here in the Lord, and he cries out to him in verse 14. Heal me, O Lord, and I will be healed. Save me, and I will be saved, for you are my praise. He starts here with healing because that's his greatest need. Jeremiah's heart is no different than the rest of his people's. It's no different than yours. It's no different than mine. It was a heart etched with sin, heart that needed to be healed, heart that needed to be replaced. His heart was also desperately wicked, craving sin, craving counterfeit solutions to his own felt needs. And yet in all of this, he knows where to turn. And he turns to that fountain of living water. He turns to the Lord, the hope of Israel. Jeremiah trusts that as he seeks the Lord's healing, that he will indeed be healed. He is confident of this because the Lord is God Almighty and he has promised it. He acts and who can reverse it? Not the will of man. Only the Lord is able to deal with our hearts and he is the only one who is able to heal us of our sin and of our brokenness. He knows our hearts. He knows our hearts better than we know our hearts and he sees them at their worst. He sees us at our worst. And in spite of that, or in light of that, he desires to bring to us healing. So much so that he became like us, taking on flesh and to redeem our very bodies. The promise that at the one day he will heal us from all the effects of sin, from all pain, from all cuts and bruises, from all broken bones and spirits, even from the effects of death itself, that one day these bodies will rise. The bodies that we are living in now will rise, not in their current form, and praise the Lord for that, right? Where they're susceptible to sickness and disease and other harm and danger, but in glorified form, bodies that are prepared for heaven, flesh and blood bodies prepared for the presence of God. This is a healing that we have to look forward to. And even if it doesn't come in this life, Christ has guaranteed it through his life, through his death, and through his resurrection as well. We can say that's all great and all. We have a, a long perspective here and kind of play in the long game and look forward to that hope that we have. And though it would be a comforting thought for Jeremiah, he needs something now. He needed present help. So he cried out to the God who hears, the God who listens, the God who is present and protects that hope of Israel, he pleads to be saved fully and confident in the Lord's ability to save. Jeremiah voices this hope in the midst of significant opposition. Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet, and if you've read the book of Jeremiah, you know why. Number one, his message isn't all that exciting and happy and good and bright, but also the people's reaction to that message is none of those things either but they react violently against him. Verse 15 gives a glimpse of the ridicule that he had to put up with. His message was doom and gloom. 
Well, not a, a present message of doom and gloom, but one that is inevitably coming. And as each day passed, and the sun rose and the sun set, and days continued on as normal, the people's ears grew dimmer and dimmer and dimmer. Jeremiah, you keep proclaiming that this doom and gloom is coming, but I don't see it. I don't see it one bit. When is this ever going to come about? And they mocked him and they ridiculed him. They wouldn't believe his message. Jeremiah was beaten and put in stocks, publicly humiliated for all to see. He had numerous plots against his life, people trying to kill him. He was thrown into a muddy cistern and tried to be starved to death until someone delivered him from that. And he dealt with the ridicule of his people on a daily basis. That's why he's called the weeping prophet. He needs help. He needs to be saved from this moment. In all these persecutions, Jeremiah continued to look to the Lord, to the hope of Israel and his sure hope as well, that the Lord would protect him in harm and danger, sustaining and comforting him, even in the midst of all of it, that he was never alone, but God was with him. And when it seemed as though the Lord would not save, Jeremiah goes back to this confession of faith. Save me, and I will be saved. Even though it doesn't seem like it, even though it may not feel like it, even though it may not be comprehensible at the time, the Lord has come to save, and he would save Jeremiah. Friends, the same is true for you today. The Lord is a reliable source, one who can be counted on every day and for all eternity. He will not leave you nor abandon you. He will not let you down. He will not run dry. He is the source of hope, the source, the only reliable source of healing, the reliable source of salvation and deliverance for what our souls need, yes, but also what our bodies need as well. I mentioned Jesus' willingness to heal a little earlier, his willingness to come and to leave heaven, to take on flesh, to redeem and to glorify these bodies of flesh in which we live. The author of Hebrews also wrote about that significance of Christ's incarnation, commenting, saying that he came to be the most high priest, one who doesn't need to daily offer up sacrifices for himself and then for others, but the one who came to be the sacrifice once and for all. And not only that, but having been raised from the dead and ascended into heaven, Christ continues in this role today, tomorrow, the next day, and for all eternity. He is our great high priest forever. And it's because of this that Jesus is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus Christ is a reliable source and the only reliable source. What are the quote-unquote punctured milk jugs that we look to to offer us salvation, to offer us healing, to offer us meaning and significance and life and fulfillment and all of these things? And do we realize that they're just punctured jugs? And at the end of the day, when we try to draw water from them, it's only going to make us more thirsty. Are you in need of saving? Jesus saves. Are you in need of healing? Christ Jesus heals. Are you in need of hope? Jesus Christ is and will be forever the hope of Israel. Is a fountain from which you're drawing your hope from a living fountain that will never run dry or a broken cistern? Will it result in glory or shame? All who forsake the Lord will be put to shame. 
because they have forsaken the fountain of living water, even the Lord. Heal me, O Lord, and I will be healed. Save me, and I will be saved, for you are my praise. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word and for its truth. God, we thank you that your word reveals to us the uncomfortable reality that, yes, Lord, we too are sinners, that our hearts are wicked, Lord, that we crave sin, we desire sin, that our hearts are, are forever marred by this sin as well. Lord, we need you. You're the only one that can heal us. You're the only one that can save us. But God, as you do your work of healing and as you do your work of saving us, that we can trust in that. We thank you that you are the hope of Israel. Lord, you are our hope today as well and for all days, for all eternity. We pray, Lord, for those who are drawing from broken cisterns today, that you would draw their hearts and their attentions to you. Father, that you would do your work of saving them as well. All these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.